Nancy, be turned to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we're continuing our look at uh, Jonah. Be in Jonah for, uh, I know, through next Sunday as well. So if you've got a bookmark in your Bible, one of those little ribbons, just put it in there and you'll be ahead of everybody next week when we turn to the book of Jonah again. Jonah, chapter 2, and we're beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for prayer. We thank you that prayer can be heard from anywhere that we pray. We ask as we look at Jonah's prayer that you would teach us to pray more regularly, teach us to pray more fervently. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want us to look at the turning point here. It's an important turning point because it's one that needs to happen in all of our lives. We see a sad situation, of course, Preceding this, when Jonah's running from God, and because he's running from God, he's put a whole ship uh, into peril, and a lot of lives were in the balance, and the storm had cost these sailors a lot of anxiety, and they threw him overboard. They threw him overboard, and at some time after they threw him overboard, of course, the great fish came and swallowed him up. Pretty bleak surrounding. Then, later on in the book, we read of a great revival of hundreds of thousands of people coming to know the Lord. And the turning point is found in these words, then Jonah prayed. The turning point. This is the starting point of any wonderful journey of service to God. Has to happen. Would not happen without this prayer. I'm reminded of a Another man that prayed, if you want to turn with me the book of Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 10. We'll back up to verse 8. Give us a, a, a picture of exactly the conditions uh, that we're looking at. And of course, you know the story of Saul of Tarsus going 
to arrest Christians. And Saul of Tarsus is thrown on the ground from his horse. God speaks to him, and he is blinded. Verse 8, Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Now here's the situation we have before Saul prayed. Verse 1, Then Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and went to the high priest. That's the situation that we had. Then, as you turn the following pages, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the preacher and begins to reach entire cities and regions for Christ and plant churches. What's the turning point? Behold, he's praying. That's the turning point. And in our lives, any journey of faith and of service to God is going to start when we talk to God. And situations will turn around when we talk to God. Now, scholars will argue, as they look at this prayer, did Jonah pray out of affection for the Lord? Or did Jonah pray out of affliction from the Lord? I think we can agree he prayed from affliction from the Lord. In fact, Jonah himself said this in verse 3, You cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all of your billows and your waves passed over me. So he acknowledged he was in affliction. And some might say, well, he didn't pray out of affection to God. He prayed simply because of the affliction from God, but the main issue is he did pray. And I think that uh, there's an unmistakable reality here. And when we just get honest with ourselves, and I know this is true with me, God uses affliction many times to get us back on speaking terms with him. When things are going like we want them to, everything's going like we expect them to, we're sailing along, business as usual, sometimes we don't pray like we ought to. And the reality is we often pray much more fervently when we face affliction, when we face suffering when we face a challenge. And it doesn't have to be just extreme suffering as we would think, but I can remember when I was, uh, when I was in junior high, and it was like, oh man, that science test is today. Well, Eric didn't study. So you know what I was doing before that test? Me, 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 me. I was praying. Man, I was facing some affliction. I was facing a challenge, and I was praying. Now, of course, I should have been studying before I prayed. But let me tell you, I realized then there's a pattern here. When old Eric gets in trouble, Eric's going to pray a lot more. And doesn't that happen in our lives even as we're grown-ups? A lot of times, affliction and suffering gets us back on speaking terms with God. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be 
our suffering. From time to time, you all know when the appeal goes out that a, a child in the community has cancer or there's an automobile accident and there's somebody, of course, that has a, an issue and the appeal goes out to folks to pray and you run into people and they say they're praying and then you find out that people who hadn't been in church in years come to that family and said, I was praying for your son. I was praying for your daughter. I was praying for your family. And God used somebody else's affliction to get the whole county back on speaking terms. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to these family, I'll, I'll try to say, look, I want us to make some sense out of your suffering. And I'm hearing from people all over who have gotten back on speaking terms and they're praying really hard. And your hardship has spoken to their hearts. It's just a human reality, isn't it? So there's Jonah. He wasn't praying until things got really, really bad. And, and I, I can't think of, of how it could get even, even worse than this. Uh, it, any of you ever been claustrophobic? You don't like elevators? Can you think of anything even more claustrophobic than being in a whale's gullet? I mean, and, and he didn't know how this was going to turn out. We read it, and we know how it turned out. All of a sudden... He's in the ocean saying, man, it can't get much worse. And then it did, and he got swallowed up by a fish. And he says, well, I'm still alive in here, and this is not pleasant at all. And so we realize he starts to pray. It's a turning point. Now, for a while, things are the same. He prayed. An hour goes by. Another hour goes by. Half a day goes by. A lot of things wouldn't change as far as his circumstances. Let me tell you what did change. Jonah changed the direction of Jonah's focus. In verse 4, then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Well, isn't that what he wanted? He was trying to leave the presence of God as per the scriptures. He went that way to get out of the presence of God. Now he finds himself, man, I liked it a lot better when I was with God, but he got what he asked for. He said, I was cast out of your sight. I will look again toward your holy temple. Where was he going, as we mentioned this morning? As far away from God's place as he could get. Now, he's looking toward the temple. Now, I know there's absolutely no way that he could know what direction the temple was in the middle of the dark stomach of a fish. But... In his mind's eye, he directed his focus back to the place of worship. And that changed everything because here's an old saying that I heard a preacher say one time. You're going to steer where you stare. And if you're looking in the wrong direction, you're going to eventually go in the wrong direction. If you're looking at the wrong entertainment, you're eventually going to head down that way. If you're looking at the wrong things, your mind's going to go there. So we understand you steer where you stare, and because of his prayer, Jonah changed the direction of his focus. None of the other circumstances had changed as of yet. He was still in a bad way, in a dark place, in about as most uncomfortable as you could be in the stomach of a fish, 
not knowing what was going on, but he changed the direction of his focus. And then Jonah made a commitment. In verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Look at that. I will pay what I have vowed. He didn't make a commitment to God. He made a recommitment to God because he had obviously at some time earlier made a promise to God to do something. He was a prophet. We understand that from the book of 2 Kings. He was a successful prophet, if you want to put it that way. One of his predictions had come true. He was enough of a successful prophet. He was listed in the who's who. He was there in the book of 2 Kings. He had made a vow to serve God and to be faithful to him. He broke that vow when he ran from God. Now he's reminded of what he should be doing. And he said, I will pay what I have vowed. How did he get to that point? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord God. That was the turning point. You see, Jonah, his story is, first of all, how we respond to the word of the Lord. And secondly, how do we respond to the correction of the Lord? Because this is no doubt a correction from God. There's no doubt why God sent this into his life. From time to time, all of us, I'm sure, God will send correction, even if it's just in the form of conviction into our life. It may not be something like this. How do we respond to God's correction? The Bible gives us several options. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and look in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Talking about the correction of God that comes in the form of, of sometimes suffering or a challenge or even conviction. How do we respond to it? Verse 5 says this, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. We can despise it and fight it. And we can just resist God and resist God and resist God. We can do that. Secondly, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. We can just wilt. We can just fold up and wilt. Or we could submit and find peace and fruitfulness. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We could submit, turn around, find that turning point, and then find a place, I like this, peaceable fruit of righteousness. What does that mean? Where do we find the peace in our heart that we don't have as God is chastening us? That turning point. Then Jonah prayed. And when he prayed, he changed the direction of his focus. Changed the direction of his focus, then he made the commitment to get back where God wanted him to be. Verse 10 says this, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I don't even want to think about what that sounded like, but I know that Jonah was glad to hear that, wasn't he? But look at what happens before Verse 10, look at the words of Jonah. Verse 2, he says, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. That was before he got out of the whale's, the fish's belly. That was before then. He knew God heard him even when his situation hadn't changed. That tells me that Jonah found peace with God even before he found his circumstances changing. That is the power of an effective prayer. He was confident, regardless of what else happens, God's hearing my prayer, even down here. Is there anything before we close? Anything at all? If not, we'll go ahead and have our brief business meeting at this time, if you'd like for it to be brief.